0: From the crossroads of America in the Hoosier state of Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now in the heartland. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO at Powderkeg, and I will be one of your hosts for today's conversation. I'm joined by co-host Christopher Tof Day, CEO at Elevate Ventures, and today's guest is Ravi Bhatt, founder and CEO at Folia.
1: And so we want to create an environment where people are excited to close the gaps, right? Like maybe there's a new opportunity. We have a new partner that we didn't even think about.
0: Ravi Bhatt is the founder and CEO at Folia, a company focused on making digital productivity apps. He started his career as a lawyer and consultant in Chicago, then identified a need and pursued entrepreneurship full-time. Their product I annotate has over 1 million users and he just has a knack for product. I've really enjoyed learning from him vicariously through all the articles I've read about him. So in today's show, we're going to talk about growing a startup with transferable skills, creating global partnerships with global brands, building and developing unique teams, all kinds of things. Really excited to dive in, and Ravi, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Us it's two. going to be I'm...
2: amazing, Ravi. We're going to crush it today.
1: I feel Let's it. crush it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd love to just get a little bit of background and, and learn a little bit more from you, Ravi. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like?
1: Yeah, I actually grew up in Indiana, uh, so I grew up in... Depending on how you think about it, rural Indiana, Warwick County, for those Indiana County aficionados, tiny town, about six thousand folks living there. But it was great.
0: What was it like there? So six thousand people. Is this like a one stoplight town, ten stoplight town? Did you have a Walmart? Like paint paint us a picture.
1: Our, yeah, we don't want to disparage people from from Bloomington, especially not all the, <laughs> the great friends that that I have there. So I want to be careful how I say this. By the way, it may be shocking looking at me, but my parents are from India, so we're, we're not longtime Indiana people. They were in New York City doing residency, actually. They're both physicians, and, and moved to Indiana and randomly chose Bloomington. I'm sorry, not Bloomington, Boonville. I really liked it, Love the feel of the small town. It's a close-knit community, kind of place where people will help you out. It's more than one stoplight. I, I think there's at least eight, something like that. Um, <laughs> Pushing 10. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like sometime in middle school when McDonald's first opened there. And, and that was a bit of a town event. I yeah. won't say it was an actual parade. It was parade adjacent. Yeah, something like that.
2: <laughs> Robbie, Robbie, it sounds to me like you're from a metropolis because the town I grew up in had three a three-way stop sign, not even a stoplight, three-way stop wow. sign. Oh, all right.
1: So, so this is the competition yeah. now. All right, great. So Matt, <laughs> what do
0: you got for us? I grew up in West Lafayette. We had lots of stoplights. Uh, oh. Unfortunately, I, I lose this contest. I know. You, you both have way more street cred than I do. Street, streetlight cred, I guess <laughs> I should say. Tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial gene. You mentioned both your parents were physicians. It's not always the most easiest having friends, lots of friends who are entrepreneurs. It's not always easy to break into entrepreneurship and do something other than what's in the traditional family uh, career. How did that work out for you?
1: I don't know. Check in with me in another 10 years or so, and I'll look uh <laughs> That's fair. You know, I, I don't know. I, we were talking before the show about <laughs> authenticity, but I think the key to it in my mind is to figure out how to be yourself, how to be comfortable in your own skin, make the jokes you want to, make the comments you want to make, see the things that your eye wants to see, and be willing to improve yourself and the people around you all the time. If you can play that game, then that basically demystifies it, right? It's about adding value to the world. And I think once I figured that out, and I'm embarrassed to say it took me a little while, right? That wasn't like day one. All right, cool, I got it all. That was more like year five, right? That for me has unlocked it. And people talk about this or that being a game. So once I figured out it's a game, I'm gonna say the same kind of BS, right? I mean, I think it is a game once you get into that game space, but it's a game about real life, right? It's a game about real people, and it's a game about real impact. If you can get into that mind space, it's a heck of a lot of fun. I, don't know. I love that perspective. Is that the way you think about it? Because you guys are all, both of you are entrepreneurs in your own and have seen it through many different stages of companies, small and big. Um, what's Tell us how goal? do you think about it?
2: I think about entrepreneurship.
0: Mm-hmm. And the game I, of life.
2: In the game of life. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a really interesting point you bring up, Robbie. Um, I, I think life is about choices. And there's books out there about choices that are meant for kids, right? It's all about choices you make in life. And so I think everybody has a different comfort zone. Some people want to sit in the front row seat. Some people want to sit halfway back. Some people want to sit in the back seat. Mm -hmm. All those seats are great, right? And they're not, not, not everybody prefers the front row seat, but I think it's, it's about choices and just trying to make whatever it is that you're doing in the world, just trying to make it a little bit of a better place. I think positivity breeds positivity, negativity breeds negativity. And I don't know, that's how I can think about it. High level. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I think for me, it wasn't as much of a, a risk in the sense that my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, all entrepreneurs, all Indiana entrepreneurs. And so it was, I think, I do think that there's some genetic piece to this that I've been fascinated by just generational, all of the generational things, like generational trauma, generational momentum. And my mom's a mental health counselor. So that, of course, is part of her practice, too. So like understanding what did we get from our parents and our grandparents, both good, bad. yeah, And both of those things are subjective, right? Because you say, oh, I got something bad from my parents. Maybe, maybe you're learning something from that. And actually, the way you apply it is the thing that helps you reach that next level of whatever you're trying to reach in the game of life. And for me, I, I agree, Toph. It's all about how. where does like the intersection of like personal passion and interests intersect with helping other people? And like I, for me, that's it, what it, lights me up.
2: Yeah, you know, Ravi, now you got my juices flowing, right? Like, I, I, uh, I, I think about, so you hear these stories, a couple of conversations I've been in recently. So one was, so if you're afraid of spiders or you have some kind of a, a real phobia of spiders, it might be because you're great, Grandfather or grandmother was severely allergic to spiders, mm-hmm. and so and that gets passed through your DNA, which I find a fascinating concept. Um, or let's take comedians, right? A lot of things people talk about comedians become comedians because they struggled, right, as children and, and in junior high and high school, and maybe you know people made fun of them for something, right? And so it it, it so they resorted to comedy or maybe had family pain maybe there's abuse, right? I I grew up in an abusive household. And so it was a way to, how do do I uh, transcend that, right? And so they find they have a natural skill set, right? That's comedy. And so they pursue that, the the comedic industry. Is that the right? I don't know what the word is for it. But they pursue that because it, they have a talent for it, but it also helps them transcend some pain that they have.
1: Right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's was that guy. way
0: off on a tangent or what? <laughs> oh, no, no. Hey, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> True story. Keep, keep taking them. I'm curious, Robbie, for you, uh, I know that you've had a, a history of both being a lawyer, some background in computer science, uh, just a very interesting combination of uh, hard skills. And t- to then end up as an entrepreneur building products shouldn't surprise me. But at the same time, it's not your traditional path if you look at the entire sample set of entrepreneurs across the U.S. So I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your own journey. Were you into computers early on? Was that something in Boonville that was just like pushed upon you or did you were you attracted to it?
1: Yeah, there's too many nuggets there. First of all, I'd like to enjoy this moment <laughs> where, where, where you... Referred to being a lawyer as a hard skill. I think for <laughs> we could we, we celebrate for a moment. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'll give you this yeah. this video yeah. snippet later,
1: just <laughs> as proof. That's right. Every morning when I wake up, Be a lawyers <laughs> a hard skill. All right, sweet. All right, Matt Hunkler, I'm ready to go. Sweet. Yeah, um, exactly. Pep talk. Yeah. No, it, it wasn't quite like that. We I, I came to computing a little bit later. It was probably like around in high school. Hmm had the great privilege of having some old computers sitting around the house, being able to take them apart, put them back together. I think those of us that kind of grew up in that time frame had a similar experience. Early 90s, all these things were like huge modular components and and you legitimately could take one of these things apart. Modern cell phones, laptops, computers, good luck. So (laughs) I do think that growing up in that time, it was formative. I, I remember playing around with one of the first computers that had a hard disk in it and playing around with DOS and Unix back when those were all the, you know, the modern rage. So I think to some extent, interest in computing was planted there. But yeah, I went to Indiana University. I studied cognitive science and computer science, and it was a charmed moment in the late 90s, early 2000s when IU had really done a bunch of things to bring world class faculty to Bloomington and I was clearly the beneficiary in some ways, those seeds were planted early, the law thing, man, that's, that's a bit of a, a tangent in my own professional career, but I, I do think that people who are entrepreneurs or have this entrepreneurial interest do tend to follow the tangents. I, I think if there is one common thread, we definitely like the other. And for me, I really enjoyed storytelling. I enjoyed still do obviously oral advocacy. I love debate. I. I like that challenge of standing on your feet and going toe to toe with somebody. So that's what drew me to law school. And so I can look back and I can paint the whole history with one brush and say, Oh yeah, it's the common thing, but it totally is disparate, right? A bunch of different things. And what then, are, you know, oh, go Okay, Sorry.
0: I was going to ask, you mentioned the the cognitive science and of course, yeah. I've got a proclivity to be curious about these kinds of things, but what kinds of things did you learn while studying cognitive science? That you think still inform the way you lead and work today both in business and maybe even in family as well
1: yeah it's a good question I... I just for those that may not know cognitive science has a bunch of different definitions but you can think of it this way from a historic perspective we have things like psychology and neuroscience that have been around for a while and depending on when you want to plot this early moment maybe the 60s and 70s Uh, there was a kind of growing interest in taking on the study of the mind and the nature of intelligence like squarely rather than from any other context. And so that's what cognitive science is. And most of the times at most institutions, the way it has manifested is it's largely an interdisciplinary exercise. So you have computer scientists and linguists and neuroscientists and psychologists, all kind of interacting together with mathematicians and a bunch of other people that have that same curiosity, but also talking about hard skills, have hard skills that come from their substantive disciplines that they studied in. So for me. The thing that was actually more formative in terms of something that I take with me was the approach to answering questions and interacting than it was the questions (laughs) themselves. Obviously, I I have the same fundamental curiosities that most intellectual human beings have about what does it all mean? Where do we come from? What is this thing that we have in, in our in our head? But this idea that you have multiple people with multiple skills coming together to solve one problem that's a really mm-hmm. compelling paradigm. So I really enjoy that. That's really cool. Yeah. Go ahead, Tuff.
2: What So I'm just curious as we now pull that on into your entrepreneurial journey. So you go to IU, you go to law school, and I got a couple of questions here I want to ask back to back, but just real quick. So close that gap. So you graduate from your undergrad. So tell our listeners about what happened between that and law school. Was there a gap? Did you go straight to law school? And then ultimately, how did you come to start Folia? And then
1: I got some questions around that. Oh, it's crazy story. I I went straight to law school. Earth shattering. No, I for me, I really wanted this feeling of doing something. I, I had briefly flirted with the idea of going into academia, some PhD track. And once I saw it up close, I was like, ah, this moves way too slow for what I want to do. And so this impatience started building. And so if you look at like where I do crazy stuff, it's always where like this impatience builds and I'm like, oh man, I gotta, gotta go do something. And so for me, that's what <laughs> drove me to law school. And I, I did it straight up for a semester and a half. I took a semester off in the middle of law school, it was just a typical, I actually came back to IU to finish up my undergraduate degree, which I didn't even bother to finish because I was like so <laughs> excited. So I was at WashU, took semester off, came back, did that. And then I was like also taking some graduate classes in philosophy of science, doing a bunch of off the beaten path things. Cause I was like, I don't know, it's a, it'd be fun to do this. Then I went back to law school and I really focused on oral advocacy and, and trial. And so then that became my kind of ethos. And I thought I was going to be a trial lawyer. That's exactly what I thought I was going to do. And then again, the impatience built. And then, uh, did something
2: so, so you start, so then you, so you launch FOLIA, right? Mm-hmm. What, back to this cognitive science kind of piece, et cetera, like all humans have their own backgrounds, their own experiences that forms their own opinions. Lots of people like to give advice, which sometimes can be a little dangerous because that advice may be correct or incorrect or appropriate, not, inappropriate, not appropriate. So what's the, what's the worst piece of advice that someone told you you should go do this when you start that company or after you started that company, what's the worst of a piece of advice that you got that you didn't follow? Or what's the, what's a piece of advice that you didn't follow? Cause you're like, that person's crazy. And you're like, Oh, two years later they were right.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's, I like that two years later, they're a right piece because I do think like a lot of bad advice is just mistimed advice. It's like good advice for another period of time. So the first bad advice I got, which maybe is good advice to go get a job, right? And just focus on a profession. Don't try to color outside of the lines with my parents and having the professional background that they do. The folks I was interacting with in academia, that really was the ethos in terms of like, how do you appear your your profession? So to some extent, me not following advice has been more of the story that, than actually following advice. And, and in fact, if, if you say, how many times did you follow advice and go do something great? That's usually not what happens, right? And so it's like, <laughs> I'm like, <important laughs> in this way, it's like, you know, if you want me to do something, just tell me to do the opposite of it. And it's like, all right, cool. It's going to get done. So that's really what it, more than anything else has guided me. Just being like totally unwilling to listen to other people at, at key moments, and the entrepreneurship stuff—it it came up in the in the same way, right? I was working as a strategy consultant on high-stakes jury trials, so typically like a hundred million dollars or more at stake. Fun environment—it's a pressure cooker. You're walking into a war room two weeks before trial, advising trial teams on presentation strategy. You're doing like focus groups two months before that, watching people behind one-way mirrors. It's cool <laughs> stuff. But even there, I got bitten by the bug, this idea that, oh, maybe there's a new way to do this. There's something else to do. And that was the thing that, that actually drove me to entrepreneurship. Toe heard me say this l- last week at the IU Ventures Conference, but I, I really, I, I'm really worried about advice, right? Both giving it and getting it. And I think there's too many young aspiring entrepreneurs that have their notebooks out and they're like sitting bright eyed like waiting to receive the feedback. Oh no. Oh, I'm sorry. That's it, it, was blank. So I think it's excusable.
2: <laughs>
1: I learned so much from you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Like, no, no, you know, where you're thinking you're going to receive some like sacred wisdom that's going to be the activation threshold. But what ends up happening is something totally different. I, I was doing a guest lecturing thing at, for an MBA class last year and i was asking how many of them are like in an entrepreneurship tr- track or studying entrepreneurship and most of them raised their hand the class was something about this business strategy and then i asked so let's go how many people feel like the more you learn about these things the more likely you are to take risk and there's a pinned up silence in the room and over the next 15 <laughs> minutes what we unpacked is the more you know the less risk you're going to take and so it comes back full circle to this advice thing, it's, I think it's a scary beast, right? Because like, how do you learn how to do anything, right? You don't learn it from advice. You learn from doing, so doing, I don't want to get singing advice. I want to be on stage singing. I don't want to get, you said comedy. I don't want advice from a comedian, right? I want to go try it out.
0: What's a time in your career, specifically in the entrepreneurial leg of your journey, where you feel like you really learned something by doing? and that changed the entire way you approached the practice of entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, so for me, the moments that I remember the the absolute most are the ones that involve other people, team in in, in specific, you know, I'm embarrassed to say it took me a couple of years, maybe even more than a couple of years if you go talk to some of the people I work with, they they might say, I'm still trying to learn it. But what does it mean to work as a team? And I usually tell people, I, I think, my my teammate Claire dropped the uh, off the call earlier but she'd be really the one to ask but but some version of the same speech which is like you you join a startup to to find your butterfly story to like to go through some sort of metamorphosis right you're learning something new you're trying something new this is like moving to a new high school your junior year having new wardrobe being a totally different cat and being able to be truly a different person now If you can put yourself in that headspace, then like my job and our job as a team is to create an environment where you're comfortable doing that. But we're going to kick your rear when you don't do that. And the reason I say it took me a long time to figure this out is because I think I was still thinking about it really classically. Like there are instructions and strategies and like dicta that come down from on high. And I guess because maybe I'm somehow in charge, I'm supposed to come up with those things and just spew all this information to everyone. And it just doesn't work, right? It, It doesn't work because you're firing an arrow at a moving target. And by the time the arrow gets there, the targets moved on, but it also doesn't work because it doesn't like cause the right kind of growth. So the thing I dine out on is all of these people who I had the pleasure of working with before the great privilege, I would say doing amazing things like founding companies working in big tech, living their best life, and remembering that moment where I saw them for the first time on stage, their voice cracking, taking a big risk, doing a thing, even if they hate me because I was the one who was like throwing them out on stage. That's okay, right? Because at least the growth was there. And the reason that resonates with me is because I'm not done growing. Right. I'm not like some like static thing that doesn't want to change. Right. The reason I was saying earlier, it's like check in 10 years, it's 10 years from now, man, I, I want to look back on this podcast and feel, oh my gosh, that's cringy. I can't believe I said that (laughs) exactly. Uh, I I want to be that guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned creating an environment that allows metamorphosis to happen. What are some of the things that you've done at Folia or that your team has done at Folia to create that environment?
1: I think everyone would agree that they hate me for this, but one is (laughs) not having good job descriptions or job titles. We have quite a bit of fuzziness when it comes to what people's roles are. Because in my mind, it's like when you create roles, they're almost like bricks, except the bricks aren't like really close together where you just have a little bit of grout between them. The bricks are really far apart. And all the action is in the gaps. And so we want to create an environment where people are excited to close the gaps, right? Like maybe there's a new opportunity. We have a new partner that we didn't even think about who's reached out. If everyone has like these siloed jobs, then it's no one's job, right? And it's a pain in the rear, in fact, right? And you see this with all kinds of businesses, right? the, the restaurant you walk into and they somehow close for lunch at like exactly two o'clock and it's two ten. Now all of a sudden there's this huge group that's come in because you just finished this conference and you walked in with 40 people, it could be like game-changing for today's revenue. And they're like, oh no, sorry, we can't help you out. We don't want to be that kind of business, right? We want to be nimble. We want to be responsive. And so for me, I think the, the cornerstone of that is to not prejudge people. If you really believe metamorphosis is possible, then today's bright green recent college grad might be tomorrow's head of strategy and the only way that you're going to figure that out is to not typecast them up front and that is uncomfortable so what are,
2: yeah what does front. that mean so if it's
1: to see i work at folia
2: i come to work for you am i in sales or am i in, how do you what am i in sales accounting
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or basically I think there's like two, three lobes of the business. I'd like to say it's two, but maybe it's three. Engineering, people whose job is principally coding. And everyone else. (laughs) So but the reason I say maybe there's three lobes is, is maybe there's a product component that's a little different than everyone else. But yeah, like sales, marketing, customer success, even though certainly we have those titles and we have some folks that like specialize in particular areas. I still love thinking about that in a kind of blurry way. And it's also because most of my experience is very early stage, right? So I've typically done things where I'm managing relatively small teams at a very early uh, point and like trying to make tons of growth happen. I'm sure my attitude would be different if I was running a company with 10,000 employees or something.
0: Quick break from our normal programming. I have Erica Schweier, COO from Elevate Ventures here in the studio today. Erica, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're gonna tell us a little bit about this Rally Innovation Conference that's coming up. Yep, so it's the largest cross-sector innovation conference in the world. We're gonna feature six innovation studios. So think hard tech, software, sports tech, ag and food, healthcare, and entrepreneurship is gonna be our catch-all. I love that. So tell me what is, who's it for? Yeah, it's for innovators, entrepreneurs, investors. Honestly, anybody probably listening to this podcast. And it's going to be a multi-day thing that's happening in downtown Indianapolis. Yep. People coming in from all over the country and maybe even all over the world to be here. That's our hope. Yep. And the dates are actually August 29th to the 31st. Perfect. And if people want to find out more information about speakers, tickets, things like that, where can they go? Yeah. So they just go to rallyinnovation.com and sign up for communications. They can also get their tickets. I love it. You heard it here, rallyinnovation.com. We'll We'll see see you you there. there.
2: So last week you talked about something I thought was an interesting way to look at it, right? Everybody knows of this famous word called a pivot. Mm. And that kind of came up in the discussion last week. And you had a different take on a pivot, Uh, right? I think a lot of people associate a pivot with a moment in time where you had an aha moment of, oh, we got to go over here instead of where we are. You have a different take on that. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Now see that the, the paradigm is like, I should be consistent with what I said last week. Cause I don't remember what I said last week. <laughs> it's your windshield thing. Yeah, yeah. Remember you talk about the windshield? Yeah. Oh, no, I know. Just kidding. I- <laughs> yeah. I'll try to say it maybe like slightly differently today, but like you're basically looking for opportunities all the time. I don't know how much of this really should be surprising if you're looking outward, not inward. So I so toast, right. I was using the windshield metaphor. It's we're not looking in the car at our hands on the steering wheel. We're looking at the road in front of us, right? And so if a deer crosses the road, is that really surprising? No, it's like we're looking out there because things are happening out there and change is apparent. I think that teams often get like risk averse with respect to pivots is because they're practicing with their pitch deck. They're only meeting each other internally. They keep rehearsing it over and over again and it starts sounding right to them, right? So much that now when the world out there doesn't conform to the world in here, they're like, oh, I guess we have to really pivot hard. And there's sadness and tears and all that kind of stuff. But if you've just been looking out there the whole time, you would have known, hey, no one's coming in the restaurant. Nobody wants Mexican donuts, right? It's let's just learn here, right? So, <laughs> I sure, love I that. I don't know what I mean by Mexican donuts. Maybe that's a thing and I'm sorry. Churros? Yeah. Oh, sure. No, I was thinking like taco donuts, like salsa and beans on top of. You know, I got mean, you. Uh, I got gotcha. gotcha. you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that does sound awful. <laughs> We're talking a lot about Folia. I uh, I'd love to maybe just hear a little bit more about how that all came to be. Can you take us back to that moment when you're like, "Okay, I got to I got to step into the arena here."
1: Yeah. I was just talking to some some other folks about this yesterday. A couple of uh folks that I've been working with really closely who are first-time entrepreneurs, right? They're 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 nursing a new idea. They're like, trying to incubate it, their mind and, and trying to figure out what risks take. And, hmm. you know, I think what happens sometimes is when you interpolate back and you, and you like try to remember what your past story is, you want to make it look good, sound good. Right. Especially if somebody like is recording you for some reason, like yeah. on a podcast. We oh yeah. We
0: want the dirty, ugly version.
1: Yeah. But it's almost <laughs> never like that. Right. Like in totally. every single moment, you're like always thinking it, it could fail. And I'm fairly negative. I'm very positive. I'm energetic. I like want the team to to be excited. I totally would put in granite what have said at the top of this about positivity breeding positivity and negativity breeding negativity. So I believe in all that. But I am often thinking about what can go wrong, right? And trying to course correct around it. So for me, it was more of a slow burn than like an aha moment. Mm-hmm. I was working as a strategy consultant when we did our first startup. And a lot of the things that we were working on, I was collaborating with Two amazingly smart people who had already gotten started building some mobile apps. They were doing a little bit of consulting work for us at the consulting company. And we just saw this like opportunity in mobile. And so for the first decade or so, like really what we were doing is building mobile productivity experiences, some fee for service for clients and building up more of a professional services offering. And then we had a lot of the early apps in the app store when the iPhone launched and the iPad launched. So it was a lot of right place at right time. And when that happens, you're getting this constant flood of ideas, right? Because customers are coming to you, partners are coming to you and be like, hey, what if you did this and what if you did that? And so half of what you're doing is just filtering because you're like, I can't do all of that. We can't even begin to think about all these things. So it's like, how do we filter? So Folia, to answer your question more directly, came out in one of those kind of sessions. The insight is something like this. As people progress in their profession, they do less and less creating new documents, right? So if you take a a senior executive at a bank, they're not sitting down in Microsoft Word and writing something. Most of their job is coming up with new ideas and giving feedback. And so if you look at where their hands and eyes go, they have a notebook out, maybe like the one Matt has. Oftentimes it's blank. They have a bunch of documents <laughs> with them. Uh, they have highlighters out, they're writing margin notes in there, and all of their work product is in this like chicken scratch that's in the margins, not the documents themselves. And so the insight was, and it came out because we had this product I annotate in the market. So yeah, this actually could be a thing, right? Because there isn't a good cross-document, cross-platform, meaning cross-device solution for this. We had just wrapped up on a previous project, had a decent exit, and we we still were excited about Iannotate and still excited about Folia, and I was wrestling it. And that was around the time when we started thinking about the potential of moving to Indiana. And so for me, starting Folia was like a three-prong risk, right, coming to Indiana, which was really exciting, taking on this new project squarely and going after this market where it was totally customer driven and three doing it as a venture-backed startup this time as opposed to bootstrapping and my experience up until that point had only been bootstrapping um and so i feel like hey i did something right if i'm willing to take three risks at once as opposed to serializing them or being like oh i'll take one of these three risks so. <laughs> So it's not necessarily a sexy answer to your question, but, but that's, the way, that's the way it happened. And then along the way, there's been a bunch of partners and a bunch of cool things that have happened, but, but the inception was very much customer-led. What's been your most shocking moment so far in your journey
2: with Folia? For Folia? Shocking, exciting moment. Holy cow,
1: that is awesome. There's been a bunch Uh the other day I, I flipped a chopstick up and it landed like in my keyboard, like right there between the G and the H and it like stuck evenly. And I was like, my goodness, I didn't have that on me. No, I, I, there's been a, there's been a couple of exciting things. We may have been talking about this earlier, but uh, we've had the great privilege of having some really marquee partners. Uh, Microsoft was a research and development partner uh, on Folia. That was an exciting get. Um, this insight that that we got from customers uh, was one that resonated with them and their strategy around Mo- Microsoft 365. So for a tiny company taking on a tiny R&D project, uh, that's an awesome partner to have. Um, how do you get
0: Microsoft year. as a, as an R&D partner, as a startup? How did you do it at Folia?
1: I think that there are some trite colloquialisms, uh, sayings that that actually turn out to be true, and the kissing many frogs one is is certainly accurate. Um, I think I say that a lot, and somebody from the BEDC the other day, this is the Bloomington Economic Development Corporation, rolled up into our office with a t-shirt with a frog on it and and really gross looking lips, the frog had (laughs) the lips. And she said, you said you were a frog kisser. So I figured you deserve the shirt. And I was like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. <It> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, customer Matt, service right there. That's right. Yeah. But you take your shot and you take a bunch of them and most failures are not fatal and most successes are not durable. So once you realize that, then, then it changes the game, right? So Matt said no today to doing this thing. Tomorrow's another day. And so for us. Once we figure that out, it's been more about discovering what those folks want. Mm -hmm. Hey, Matt, I could help you with a couple of things that I think you're struggling with, but can we just talk a little bit about what your struggles actually are and and what what kinds of things you're wrestling with? I feel like I could learn a lot Um, once we approach the conversation that way. It opens up a ton of potential Uh, other exciting moments. um, We've been working pretty closely with Google. I was out um, last week or actually the week before for Google I.O. working with a lot of their team that run Android um, and some of their mobile strategy, because I think there's going to be an exciting partnership there. We just announced a a month ago, a global partnership with Samsung. Mm -hmm. Samsung has a huge investment in mobile devices, but also devices with styluses. So the S Pen on the S 23 ultra or the fold 4. hopefully there'll be a fold five this year that takes it to the next level. They're really exciting. And so for us, it's great to be in the company of, of, of some of these larger firms. The other professional services partners there are like DocuSign, Cisco, tiny companies that you've never heard of. So Folia, to some extent, is, is the one that doesn't belong. But this, again, speaks to, 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 to being customer-led, right? Because we really are there in these opportunities, doing these cool things because of our customers and what they see. Do most of these initial
0: connections with brands like Google, Microsoft, Samsung, do they happen uh, initially from a cold email? Are you networking your way to those folks? Are you meeting them at an event? Is it all of the above? Are they reaching out to you because your inbound marketing is so great?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've been to our website. Our inbound marketing is not great. No it's none of those things. I'm going to go back to the thing that people often say in these like unhelpful books about like how to get a venture investor, which is you can't go through the front door almost ever on most things, because if you do, it's an anti-signal. Mm-hmm. So you definitely don't cold call and cold write. You've got to figure out a way to be introduced, because that's the only way that someone else can give them context, right? So it turns yep. out the insurance agents had it right from Jump Street, right? Can you introduce me to five of your friends who would also love to hear me yammer on for an hour and bring them a mug? Yeah, I have five people I hate. Um, <laughs> <and get your> <laughs> own- <laughs> so, I want to keep them as friends. Like <Yeah>. Yeah, Uh, but no, for us, all these things have have been organic and dynamic and interconnected in that way. You have a customer Mm -hmm. at a large bank, introduce us to one of our partners. They introduce us to another one of our partners and you just go through the game that way. That's it's really easy for,
2: yeah, it's really easy for people to forget. Like it's human nature. You see these headlines, Folio announces this partnership with Samsung and then some other entrepreneur sitting somewhere is like, I suck. I don't have a partnership with Samsung, right? But they see the headlines, like people see headlines, and they think just stuff magically happens. But what we never do press releases on is, I had a phone call today with whatever, XYZ company, and they hung up on me in five minutes. And it happened 65 times in the last 30 days, right? Yeah. Or I've sent out 1,000 emails and nothing happened. Just whatever those examples are, we never celebrate publicly the failures and the kissed frogs, right? But we announce the fun stuff like so human nature. A lot of times, like in entrepreneurship, it's so easy. Sometimes you get deflated and like all the awful stuff only happens to me. Yeah. But and, it's happening and to everybody.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that's because we collectively suck at telling the right stories. You would not go to a sporting event just rolling in for the trophy portion of it and be happy, right? You want to watch the battle. You want to watch the competition. And that's what we pay money for. That's what we'll compete to participate in. Somehow, I think many of us have gotten on the wrong track when we talk about entrepreneurship, where we think that, Hey, I won the trophy is the story anybody cares about. Nobody gives a flying F about that story and it doesn't teach you anything. And it's also not even clear what it means, right? Did everyone else drop out of the competition and that's why you got it? Is this even a cup anybody cares about, right? Or did you have the best of the world competing against you? And that difference is not a tiny difference as it turns out. People say it in this, again, trite ways, which is, yeah, it's about the journey and all that kind of stuff. Don't get discouraged. I don't think it's quite like that. It's about the battles. But the battles are the journey, right? They're not the result. And so for the aspiring entrepreneur, it's like the field is there. There's no like guard preventing you from getting on the field. You just have to put your shoes on and go out there and you'll be in the minor leagues and that's fine. But every day is going to be a battle and every day you can get better.
0: In that spirit, what's one of your lowest lows that you've had, Ravi, when... You've worked now with Samsung and Google and Microsoft. Those are the trophy things. million users on iAnnotate. That's a trophy thing. But if you look back over the last couple of years at uh, some of your lowest lows, what were those moments for you? Those battles that you're not going to forget?
1: Oh, there's tons of those. More of those (laughs) than there are any wins or even perceived wins. There's a moment when we had a an SDK, a software development kit that a company in Japan was interested to, in buying. And our offices were impressive to us like five minutes before this was about to happen. And then we realized this is not impressive. we were in a 2000 square foot apartment above an Italian restaurant in Noble Square in the, in the western part of Chicago downtown. And it was a bunch of like pizza boxes. <laughs> open. Like, this kind of stuff. And there's this executive who's going to roll up And the toilet's backing up. And I'm there with the toilet brush and a plunger trying to get this thing to work. And that meeting did not go well, right? Because I I texted a bunch of friends because I was like, we can't be like a three-person company. So anybody, I was like. I'm buying lunch. Just, just roll in, here. and I didn't explain to dress well and be like edible. So here come my friends, like totally dressed like whatever, being like, "Where's the food? You said there's gonna be food, right?" And it's yeah, I'd like to introduce you to this guy. Yeah, that's fine, but where's? That was very <laughs> unimpressive. And then that guy ended up like leaving his luggage in our office and then had to come back for a second round of this. Yeah, I'm sure he tells that story still, which is how do you <laughs> learn that there's- so How do you vet a startup? That, you know, what the toilets are like. But then there are, That's there, amazing. There, are, there are a bunch that are harder. That one's a little bit more fun, funny. There's always that moment, usually in the first year, especially when you're bootstrap, where you have bills that amount to this much. And you have revenue and cash on hand that amounts to that much. And this is way bigger than that. So now it's an exercise of which bills are you not going to pay? And so that first moment for me, it was like, okay, we're not paying me. That's easy. But then it's, that's still not good enough. That's heartbreaking, right? Because you made a bunch of promises to a bunch of people that it's going to go a particular way. And so for, in our case, I'm pleased to say we've never not paid an an employee but in order to make that statement true we've had to go through all kinds of gymnastics and heartache you're sometimes talking to banks about a short-term loan to get something done you're asking customers to pay something a little earlier than they were expecting to pay these are not graceful and gracious moments that 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 feel good in the moment there have been products that we've launched that have just completely flopped on day one we've had updates that have rolled out on previous products that have gone out to three million people with a glaring bug that we should have caught like two minutes before that had a bunch of one star reviews popping up the next day. And all that conspires to create moments of great self doubt because as much as, yeah, you could tell this story about like, yeah, I'm the confident guy who like likes to take risks and do the new thing and take the path not taken you're always running that sliding doors in your mind, right? I could have gone and worked at the law firm and this is what would have happened, right? And so There are moments, I was talking to an an aspiring entrepreneur yesterday who has this, like, like truly amazing framework for working on like wealth tracking and a bunch of other cool things. And one of the things he was talking about is disappointing when people just talk about retirement planning. You should talk about all this like decision-making that happens before it. And that's like, yeah, that's totally right. But there are moments, many moments where you underperform that alternative self. So it's, yeah, that boring guy would have this much net worth and would have this kind of stability and his family would be in Mexico right now uh, with the kids, rather than everybody in the house with a stapler, collating a bunch of things that need to go out to clients as their vacation, right? Which has definitely (laughs) happened before and not our shining moments. So when those moments of like self-doubt seep in, it's just awful.
0: (laughs) I really appreciate you sharing that. And I've really enjoyed this discussion, getting to know you a little bit better, Ravi. I know we are at time right now. Do you have two more minutes for the lightning round?
1: Sure. Yeah, go for it. I don't have a hard time. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for the extra time. This is quick answer. Whatever comes to your mind first, there's no wrong answers. And this is the first of three questions. First question, outside of the amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem, what is Indiana known for?
1: Hard work. Oh, good
0: answer. Question two, what is a hidden gem in Indiana?
1: The universities.
0: I don't think we've gotten that answer yet actually that may have been mine (laughs) three last one who Uh, is someone that we need to keep on our radar someone who is doing big things
1: oh i'm going to give you the 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 non-lightning answer to that um we could perfect we could import all the cool a-list people in the world but i think the person who's going to outperform all of them is the 22 year old that's getting plugged in right now to the amp and the ecosystem and is going to take the risk that they would have taken in the Bay Area here and it's going to be the next gazillion dollar, billion dollar exit unicorn and all that kind of stuff. I think there's always this temptation that we have to import everything, but the ability to home grow is unrivaled because that's the startup ethos, right? Like the game we play every day is not what we don't have. It's with duct tape, tweezers and a pack of Twizzlers. What can we build? That's the game and for me, I think the person to keep on the radar is all those young people who, who are going to stay here and, and do some amazing things.
0: That's a great answer. Robbie, you... No, that was perfect. That was perfect. Thank you so much for being on Get In and sharing some of your story.
1: Yeah, uh, I know
0: there's so much more to capture, so hopefully we can get, have you back on the show again sometime. It's just been awesome. And I'm so glad you're here in Indiana and obviously love Beatdown as a IU grad myself. Awesome to hear that you're doing great work down there. Thanks for taking the time, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And I think I really appreciate, as a as somebody who's rolled up a little bit more recently, what I think a lot of people don't realize is, is how much infrastructure gets laid before you have a moment of delight. And I'm having moments of delight left and right, being at 16 Tech and seeing some of the things happening there, seeing what's happening with Elevate, Keg, which I think I wanna get plugged into a little bit more. All these things are amazing. But to Toph's point from earlier, what I really appreciate is all of you who have been building here for the last two decades, because like when we did our first startup, I did it with Bloomington guys. And we actually looked at Bloomington thinking maybe we would do our startup here and we passed on it because we were like, there's just no infrastructure. It would be really scary. It'll be easier to do it in Chicago. And that was right. But it was the convenient answer. It might have been better to move to, uh, to Indiana at that time. And what I really appreciate is all the people who didn't answer the question that way and really created the infrastructure that we are now blessed to be actually leveraging. So hats off to you guys and really appreciate it.
2: That's awesome. Thank
1: you, Ravi. You've been amazing. Are you ready to transform your brand with award winning video content that captures your vision and connects with your audience? Check out Alchemy, the experts at building your brand using video. From story driven social media snippets that leave a lasting impression to compelling full length documentaries, they have got the expertise to take your brand to the next level. Alchemy is actually our video partner here on Get In, and they do amazing work. All the videos across social, Uh, across YouTube, all that is done by Alchemy and and they're an amazing partner to work with. Reach out to me, Nate at Powderkeg or check out alchemyfilmco.com to get connected with Alden and his team. They will take care of all of your video needs.
0: This has been Get In, a Powderkeg production in partnership with Elevate Ventures. And we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for our guest or segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powderkeg.com slash newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powderkeg executive community, check out powdercake.com slash premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company, Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powderkeg. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.